Uh, the question is, what's important to you? Lots of things, I imagine, are important to you. We sang that song, Jesus at the Center of It All. And I just want you to know before I preach this sermon that nobody who picked out that song knew I was going to preach this sermon. Well, except one. I just, I just love it when this happens because what we're going to talk about today is Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. You could give that passage the title, Jesus at the center of it all. So what's the most important thing to you? What has first place? Is Jesus most important in your life? You know, the scripture says, uh, you know, this guy came to Jesus one day and he said, what is the most important thing? And Jesus answered that question directly. You know, Jesus didn't always give a direct answer to a direct question. Sometimes people would ask him a question and then he'd answer and you wonder, did he hear the question? But in this case, this person comes and they say, what is the most important thing? And Jesus said, this is the most important thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Most important thing, God. God is important. He is worthy of all your devotion in every aspect of life, heart, soul. I'll bet you don't even know the difference between your heart and your soul and your mind. Where does one end and the next begin? I can't tell, neither can you. We can talk about them, but we don't know the fine line between them. To you as an entire person, what is most important? And Jesus said, God is worthy of every ounce of your devotion. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Is Jesus at the center of it all? In Hebrews 12, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, everything that's holding us back, and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author, the, the initiator, and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. He goes ahead and he gets there first and we are to chase after him with our eyes fixed on him. 
the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Philippians 2 or 3, Paul writes, For whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ." most important. In Colossians 1, this text we just read, verse 18, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. I could answer the question like this, is Jesus most important? Yes. Period. Is Jesus the most important thing in your life? Yes, he is. Period. Because Jesus has first place in everything. That is his. He owns it. So really, when we ask the question, it's only a question of whether we're recognizing something that is already true, that he has first place, that he is most important. We're uh, embarking today, beginning uh, a study of the book of Hebrews. This is the point of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is best, first, supreme, and so far and away above and beyond anything and anyone else that it would be ridiculous to focus our attention or our effort or our obedience or our faith or our trust anywhere but on him. And the reason the book of Hebrews is written is because people, apparently, because trouble was coming for Christians, thinking of maybe we could ease up a little on the Jesus talk. Hey, let's, instead of church, let's go back to synagogue. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, his, here's his reaction to that. Are you nuts? Are you insane? How could you even contemplate the, even the tiniest possibility of turning from Jesus to anything else? And then the whole book is an elaboration of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus at the center of it all. I thought about asking you a different question, which is this question, what's your problem? And if I ask you the question, what's your problem, I could mean two different things. 
I could mean when you look around the world, what do you have a problem with? What's, what are your difficulties in life? That's one way I could mean the question, what's your problem? The other way I could mean it is, what is wrong with you? This text, the whole book of Hebrews, reminds us that whatever our problem is, whether it's what's wrong with me, or whether it's the problem I have with everything and everyone else, whatever my problem is, my real problem is I am not paying good enough attention to Jesus. And paying attention to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, leads to running the race with endurance. And when I understand the privilege of knowing him, I, I can only actually aspire to understanding that. But the more I understand the privilege that I have being the brother of Jesus Christ, the more perseverant I become. So my title for this whole series of the book of Hebrews is Privilege and Perseverance. It's only by grounding my heart in the privilege of knowing him that I persevere in knowing him, that I become like Paul. I would trade anything, I had not even, I would trade, I have traded everything to know him. Now, the book opens, <laughs> I've, I've created, I, I made my own translation here, which I printed in the bulletin. Uh, which might look like a combination of all the English translations, and it kind of is. I want to get the words in the right order and all that. Let's just read it. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. In various portions and in various ways in times past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, he spoke to us in a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the world. The sun is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence. And he sustains all things by the word of his power. And having made cleansing for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, he goes on from here to talk about because he's, been, he's ascended to a position above the angels and that really is the completion of the sentence but we're going to talk about that next time. So we're going to focus on just these three verses. And the first thing we want to observe is that God spoke. God spoke in the old days in various portions, in various ways. If you read the prophets, 
of the Old Testament. Just read the Old Testament. It is a wild array of ways in which God has spoken. Moses was walking around one day and he comes across a bush in the wilderness. He comes across a bush on fire, but not being consumed. And God speaks from the bush. I'm sure there's plenty of sermons that try to explain why. I, it's just crazy. You know, God called this prophet Hosea to prophesy to the nation of Israel the unfaithfulness of Israel, and he had Hosea marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him time and again. And she was unfaithful. She would leave him. And God would say, go bring her back. And then she'd leave him. And God would say, go bring her back. All of this is just to demonstrate the nature of God's relationship, husband and wife with Israel. We could extend it, I suppose, to the relationship between Christ and the church. When we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. That's a crazy array of ways God has spoken, isn't it, in the prophets, in the old days, to our fathers. But in these last days, now I would like you to notice that the last days had already begun when the book of Hebrews was written so if they were in the last days, we must be in the last of the last days. Though this is all in God's hand. But these are already the last days. And how does God speak in the last days? Well, he announced it in the prophets. There was coming the day of the Lord. And what marked the day of the Lord was the arrival of Messiah, the Christ. And so Christ has arrived and we are in the last days. We are between the one arrival and the other arrival. We are in the last days. How does God speak in the last days? In a son. In a son. There's a big difference between a prophet, a spokesman, and a son. The son bears the very nature of the father. So for him to show up in person is a big deal. What we're doing is we're moving from an old way of God speaking to the way of God speaking. We're moving from the announcement of a thing to the thing. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament, Jesus said this about the Old Testament. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. Paul says in Galatians that when God made the promise to Abraham, he was preaching the gospel to Abraham. The gospel we now identify as the good news of God's grace in the incarnate son who gives his life a sacrifice for sin and is risen 
He is the Word. In these last days, he's spoken to us in a son. So I just want to talk about eight glories of Jesus Christ that are mentioned in this text. The first is, he's the son, the word of God. Jesus is not just a spokesman for God. Jesus is not another prophet Jesus is the Son. In John chapter 1, of course, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. He's the Word. Jesus isn't just speaking for God. Jesus is the speech. He is the actual communication in Colossians 1.15, let us, he's the fulfillment of let us make man in our image. God says to himself, let us make man in our image. In Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. The son of God made man is the completion of let us make man in our image. He perfectly, as a human being, bears the image of God. Peter wrote to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. There's a shift here from the prophet to the thing prophesied. They were not serving themselves, but you and these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's in the first chapter. In the beginning, God created. Let us make man in our image. What is the title of the last book of the Bible? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The message of the whole thing from the beginning to the end, Jesus at the center of it all. God spoke, he announced, and he arrived in the person of his son. He is the word of God. If you ask the question, what does God say? The answer is Jesus. The second thing is he's appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the culmination of everything in the end. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
All things came to be into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He is the conclusion of history. The, the last book is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope for the future is in Christ. All things wrap up in him. He's also the agent in the beginning of all things. He is the agent of God in the making of everything. Nothing was made that has been made apart from him. How does God create? He speaks. God spoke, and Jesus is the speech, and he creates all things through the Lord Jesus, through the Son of God, the Eternal One. He's the radiance of his glory. Jesus is the shine on God. That's another way of saying he's the word of God. If you ask the question, where is the glory of God? The answer is Jesus. He is the radiance of his glory. That's an interesting thing to think about, actually. John said this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is John 1.14. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we have to put that, he became flesh. And we beheld his glory. You have to put that next to this. Paul. Philippians 2, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by looking like other men, by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we beheld his glory. When Jesus was announcing in the book of John, the time has come for the cross. How did he say it? The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Wow. The glory of God is best exhibited in the phrase, it is finished. The glory of God is in the veiling of the glory of God in the human being, Jesus. Good heavens. If you ask me what God is like, the answer is Christ and him crucified. 
we, when we think about radiance, we want it to be more radiant. But Isaiah says there was nothing special about him that people would admire him. He was a very ordinary person in the way he looked, in the way he conducted himself. And when he was crucified, we considered that the work of God. We were on the wrong side of that discussion. And in the exhibition of the humility, the humiliation of the cross, the glory of God is exhibited because the kind of God we have is the kind of God that gives himself a sacrifice for sin and restores us to loving fellowship when we were his enemies. There's nothing more glorious than that. He's the radiance of his glory. He's the representation of his essence. One of my favorite things in the whole Bible is Philip saying to Jesus, well, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus looks right at him and says, what do you think I've been doing? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He's the announcement of God. He is God made flesh among us. When we see him, we see God. You know, whatever our problem is, our real problem is we're not paying enough attention to Jesus. If we want to know who God is, the answer is Jesus. John 1.18, no one's seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the representation of the essence of God. And then we read this. He sustains all things by the word of his power. Now we could get confused about the pronouns in that sentence. He sustains all. Who's he? Well, could be Jesus, could be the Father. He's, I, I read it like I think it's the Father. So he's, the Father sustains all things by the word of his power. Who's that? Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. He's the word of his power. How does God the Father sustain all things through the Son. He's the agent of the sustaining of all things. Just as we read in Colossians, in him all things hold together. If Jesus takes a day off, everything will collapse. Everything. It will not hold together. We rely on things holding together. Someone does that. It doesn't just happen. Someone does it. This very minute, the Lord Jesus is sustaining all things. All things hold together in him. 
I can't make sense of anything without reference to him, really. It's interesting, though, this, this all things, uh, this sustaining, rather, the word sustain, it's not the same as the word in Colossians, all things hold together, because that's how we typically think of it as sort of he keeps the system operating. But in this case, it's carried. He carries it. And so we want to go back and we notice he's the heir of all things, the conclusion, the culmination, where everything ends up. And we read he's the beginning of all things, the creator. And we notice through whom he made the world. Well, it's interesting because the word world here is the word for ages. He's the writer of history the author of the story in which we are all players. He began it, he concludes it, and he carries it from the beginning to the end. From its beginning in him to its end in him, he carries it all the way. Jesus is at the center of it all. Even if you haven't noticed He carries it. He sustains it by the word of his power. God operates in creation by the Son. If the authority is in the Father, the agency is in the Son. The execution is in the Son. The plan being carried out is in the Son. Wow. But that's not all. He goes on, and having made cleansing for sins, having made cleansing for sins. You know, I recently went on vacation, and I had some people who were coming to stay at my house while I was gone. Steve and his wife stayed at my house while I was gone. At least I think they did. Because they could have arrived at my house and decided to get a room someplace. I don't know. But I think they stayed there. That's what they said anyway. So I believe it. Well, here's what had to happen before they could come and stay in my house. Cleansing. (laughs) It was about as clean on the day I left as it ever has been since I lived there. But there's two kinds of cleansing. And in this case, there were both kinds present. There was some actual cleansing, you know, disinfectant applied. Mopping, mopped. But there's another kind of cleansing, which is just put this under that. Cover. So some things were covered and some things were actually cleaned. Now, I'm telling you about my house as a way of telling you about the sacrifices. You see, in the Old Testament, there was, this, there was millions of sacrifices. Cleansing to, to be clean, ceremonially clean, you had to make a sacrifice. 
Well, those were covering sacrifices. Every last one of them was a covering sacrifice. What does the Son of God do? Cleanses. And this is one of the themes of the whole book of Hebrews is the superiority of the sacrifice of Jesus, which actually cleanses your conscience. So having the sacrifice of Christ applied to me, I don't have to feel guilty for things I'm actually guilty of. It's a cleansing of sins, not just a covering of sins. And all those Old Testament sacrifices, you know what they're about. They're about, remember, Lord, remember, he's coming. The sacrifice to end all sacrifice one day will be made. And meanwhile, please, It's not a temporary covering, it's a cleansing. Oh, and there's another thing here. Jesus made cleansing for sins. The word made here, there, there's a little grammar here. It's in the, uh, what we call the middle voice. Oh no, that means it has a reflexive meaning. Like this, Jesus made himself cleansing for sins. The sacrifice of Christ is the sacrifice of Christ. He doesn't just present, you know, a lamb. He is the lamb. And so he makes cleansing for sins. He is both priest and sacrifice. And the book of Hebrews is going to make a lot of that out of this. And having done so, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where is Jesus now? At the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. That's a way of saying he finished the job. Now he is going to stand up and come back, but he sat down. Having made cleansing for sins. Who is at the right hand. Jesus is the man. The man, one of us, is at the right hand. You see, Jesus has always been at the right hand of God. Jesus is the right, the Son of God is the right hand of God. All through the, from eternity to eternity. So who sat down at the right hand? The eternal son made flesh. Risen from the dead in his human body. Jesus earned his position at the right hand of the throne of God through his death. 
it's extremely important to see that it is a human being. The Son, the eternal Son of God can be a human being. You have no idea how important it is to be a human being. To be made in the image of God according to his likeness. To have the opportunity to walk in fellowship with God and so to exhibit the nature of God. You see, what Jesus is is what we are called to be in our humanity. What he is in his humanity, we are called to be in ours. And he, in his sacrifice, makes it possible again for us to walk in fellowship with God and by that fellowship to exhibit the character of God in the world. This is the most incredible privilege imaginable. We could not have imagined it. He's seated at the right hand. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Wait, he's the eternal Son. He's always had the name that is above every name. But now the man, the man has the name so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. You can't, you don't know how privileged you are to be counted as brother or sister to the Lord Jesus. So we are going to dwell on it. <laughs> That's what we always do here. We dwell on that. You see, God spoke to us. To us. God spoke to us. How should we respond to all this? Well, Hebrews, I'm going to give you a long list of answers from the book of Hebrews. How to respond to this and Obviously, we'll, we'll come along these things as we go through during the coming uh, months, years. In Hebrews 2, he says, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Well, what have we heard, Jesus? We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so we don't drift away. Oh, so it's by focusing our attention on Christ that we don't drift away. In chapter 3, he says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. In chapter 4, he says, let us be diligent to enter that rest, the rest that he provides. In chapter 6, he says, let us press on to maturity in him. In chapter 10, he says, let us draw near to God because Jesus has opened a way, let us come in. He says that a lot in the book of Hebrews. Draw near, draw near, draw near. With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, trusting in what Jesus has done. 
In chapter 10, verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. <clears throat> Maybe the best expression is that what we already read in chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The only right response to Jesus' presence in the world, to the life of Christ, to the knowledge of Jesus, is pay attention to Jesus because he actually is the most important thing. Pay attention to Jesus, trust Jesus, obey Jesus. I don't know what your problem is. You probably have more than one. The root of the solution is in him. In fact, in him, my life is solved. And what I do is carry out that solution, trusting in what he has done, not in what I might do. When I see the privilege I persevere. When I see the privilege, I persevere. We want to earn the privilege by persevering. Oh no. Oh no. I have the privilege and so I persevere. Father, we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus. We can't really estimate his significance. Lord, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our bodies, to love the Lord our God, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, to be alive. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.